Welcome to Dragon Babies. I always step on. No, I love the beginning because we're both like so eager to get started and then we always trample on each other. can't even. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And this week we are discussing The Folk Keeper by Franny Billingsley. Madeline is going to take the lead on this one because this book was very important to her as a child and I did read it. I didn't recall it nearly at all. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, did you do you remember it at all or not? I had conflated it with another book that my friend Allison loved that was about Silkies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I there were very few moments that were familiar to me. Okay. So that's <laughs> fun. Okay, done with my background. <laughs> not going to hear a lot about me rambling on and on about my fantasy past this episode. So Madeline, would you like us to tell us a little bit about The Folk Keeper? Yeah, absolutely. And I I looked up the copy that we have it is missing its jacket. It is a very old book. It looks really cool actually. It totally looks like a book that you'd find on a bookshelf in Skyrim. Um so we don't have a summary from the book jacket, but I looked up what it said online and I didn't like it at all. It was like pretty canned and not good at capturing anything about the atmosphere of the book itself so so instead of reading the actual but bad book form format book cover we're just not going to i'll just do my own okay so it's the whole point of this segment we comment on how bad it is it's fine no go ahead no i'm reading it now i don't want to (laughs) i'm gonna scream over it (laughs) read your own go ahead I didn't write one. I was, I wasn't gonna do it at all. You didn't write a poem in the style of the last word. I didn't. No. Um, so I guess I'll just say this book really reminds me of. I don't know. It, this is. It's helpful to tell you that it's won the Mythopoetic Fantasy Award for children's literature uh, because I really do think. It is very, it reminds me of The Hobbit and um, it has a really intense feeling of mythology and it's really um, almost kind of a weird fiction type vibe because it is happening in this somewhat realistic world that's just in our past Mm -hmm. if we're like placing in our actual reality. But then there's like a lot of magic and magical creatures and just legends and myths that people it's they're real people have very much evidence of them so I think that it also kind of reminded me of um Sabriel Mm -hmm. Uh, it definitely had that same kind of vibe uh so I'll I'll just in terms of a girl on her own setting out against unspeakable evil forces well it reminded me the setting reminded me of Sabriel as well but that too yeah uh because it was the same sort of past somewhat I guess this is more um Victorian and less uh medieval yeah Mm-hmm. I mean, parts of Sabriel are medieval. Yeah, it's fantasy. It's, it's fantasy. not set in time. <laughs> but I, but I really, really loved the the atmosphere and the setting in this book. And so I, I'll just do a somewhat short summary then, since we're skipped the book jacket part. Grace is grimacing. Oh, now a cheerful shrug. <laughs> so 
the main character in the book, her name is Corinna, um, but she's going by Corin because she's pretending to be male. Uh, she's 15 at the beginning of the book, turns 16 during it, and she is a folk keeper of unknown parentage uh, who is brought to uh, Ricebridge Manor by the current uh, owners of it in order to be the folk keeper there um, at the behest of the dying Lord Merton who was previously in charge uh, of the manor. He was the lord of the manor. One would say not. He was in charge of the manor. <laughs> I do the cooking and cleaning around the castle. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. Um, so Corinna comes to uh, be the folk keeper at the manor and gets into all sorts of trouble, meets meets everyone who lives there, um, develops a, a relationship with Finian, who is um, the son of the lady of the manor, but he wasn't Lord Merton's son. He's from a previous marriage. Um, and the the folk are kind of hard. So the folk are this, this legendary um, kind of evil... Uh, trouble causing force they are they do actually have like physical beings Mm -hmm. um, but they live in caves uh, and in the dark and they just sort of like they need to be appeased otherwise they'll cause a lot of trouble they can um, do everything from uh, kill farm animals to ruin crops to ruin the farm animal output which is really important in an agrarian society cheese yeah, Don't forget that they can, they can melt cheese, um, and <laughs> that's what bothered me the most. Yeah, that's that's pretty upsetting. Did I throw you off? I'm sorry. No, I was just thinking about where to go from there. So, Corinna, as I said, her parentage is unknown, and throughout the book, she discovers more and more about herself as she's brought to the sea because Ricebridge Manor is on an island, um, and she. No, Ricebridge is the town where she first lives. She's in more more tall manor in Cliffside. Oh yeah, that's right. Marble Marble Hall Mar- Park. Marble Hall. Marble Hall. Marble Hall Park. I don't know the I always looked at it and read it as Marlboro. Marlboro Park. <laughs> Just because. Marlboro Park. Um but thanks, thanks for that correction. Yeah, Ricebridge was the town where she You're was welcome. living previously. <laughs> Grace is already I'm getting really sassy today. Um, but she, yeah, one of the things that she discovers while she's living there is she actually meets the seal folk um, and also meets some descendants of hillhounds. So there's lots of legendary creatures at play. And these are other creatures that are different from the primary evil folk that she tends to mm-hmm. and feeds and allows to feed on her. Um, the seal folk live in the water and the hillhounds are dog spirits. And then there's also another kind of folk that's mentioned in passing, but she doesn't meet called the, the bogle, the bogleman. I was just waiting for you. The vocal men are a really important plot point, so I'm glad I brought them up. (laughs) I'm I'm just all right. Um, I'm sorry. No, I think that's good to sort of. It's not limited to just the other folk that are actually important to this story. Yeah, I just want to differentiate a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, Corinna acts as a lightning rod sort of for the folk, their anger and mischief. And they can actually cause a very, very damaging physical harm to the folk keeper. And if people uh, or animals or anyone get lost in their caverns, they will eat them. <laughs> They're, they can be, uh, they are very vicious. They're not in any way uh sympathetic or benevolent no there's like, never a moment of malice. oh but this one folk has a personality yeah, and no, understands no. me and is kind they have no good in them no as uh corinna says at one point and as old francis the previous folk keeper also says they're um mostly mouth and teeth mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they don't have eyes yeah and one of the things corinna does as the folk keeper is she um brings a lot of different food that the cook gives her and they just sort of absorb that so should we talk a little bit more about Corinna's coming of age um yeah I like this is this is a, a mystery story and the first time that I read it when I was young I really like a lot of stuff just went right over my head um so it was it's been cool rereading it. I actually reread it recently and then again to do this podcast because I like picked up on everything. Uh, and there it's it's a really neat mystery. It's really interesting and everything fits together really nicely in the end. Uh, I didn't f- feel that there were loose ends or that anything was sloppy. Like because sometimes in mysteries there's all kinds of red herrings that are like okay, yeah, I understand there needed to be red herrings, but this doesn't make any sense that this happened. Um, And there wasn't any of that. Uh, Like, it all made sense and felt like a cohesive story. Uh, So I really liked that. Um, And so as as Corinna comes of age, uh, she comes more and more into these powers that she's always just kind of considered, like, these are her secrets. It's what she hides from other people. they enable her to do things that she can't really explain. And she's actually liked to imagine that she's one of the other folk uh, growing up. And I guess we just just spoil the... Yeah, that's what we always do. Yeah. We spoil the plot straight I know, up. it just feels like since I'm the one doing the spoiling yeah, there's this a time. Nice, I mean, there's a nice reveal in the book. We kind of already spoiled it by saying that the book is about silkies, or selkies as they're most commonly referred to, but as a child, they referred to them as silkies Mm because I like saying them better Um, because Corinna is a seal folk Mm -hmm. yeah her mother was a seal folk and she turned out to be the rightful um, inheritor of the manor inheritor (laughs) please um, of the manor Uh, so technically Marble Park is all Corinna's yeah it's hers because Lord Merton is her father and he kidnapped and I mean impliedly repeatedly raped her mother well there's so this is one way in which I thought that the book was almost identical to selkie myths Mm -hmm. um, because female selkies if they're caught on land without their silk skin any man who takes the silk skin they must wed and Mm -hmm. become their wife okay Um, and you know stay on land for the rest of their life mm-hmm. um it's like a contract sort of so that seemed pretty um 
directly taken from the myth mm. to me um, because there, yeah, there wasn't really any kind of question of her trying to escape or anything like no. that. Just from that point well, but on, she didn't have her skin. Right. He took her skin away and destroyed yeah. it. Yeah. But, but even a question of her leaving the manor right, or, right. or okay. trying to mm-hmm. make a life of her own. Um, she, went somewhat insane and she couldn't look at the sea um, mm-hmm. and she took to staying in the cellar with the folk and she scratched creepy messages all over the walls. Um, I actually, I love her creepy message scratching. She scratches over and over again into the cellar walls. Poor Rona, have pity on her, which is <laughs> just excellently Talk about creepy. like a weirdly misplaced <laughs> cry for help. I'll put it in the basement. <laughs> Where no one ever goes. Yeah, but like, cause she she was mad essentially. Corinna finds out that she is one of the seal folk, and it's it's pretty close to the end of the book. It's after Lord Edward, who is the villain. He's trying to uh, Sir Edward. Sir Edward. My role in this episode is just to <laughs> really obnoxious. Wait, what did I say? Corrections of minutia. Lord, oh, I said Lord, Lord Edward. Edward, and he's not the Lord. He's not the Lord. He really wants to be. No, though. he's not. Um, he hated Lord Martin. He's a jerk. He wears black and white satin twenty four seven. Yeah, he's and his a, shoes have black roses on them. Yeah, he's a a rosette. I think it was yeah. He's a dandy. Um, he's a dandy. Yeah, and he wants to marry the lady of the manor, um, Lord Martin's widow, uh, and tries repeatedly to murder her son Finian uh, in really sloppy ways. I yeah, mean, <laughs> like. <laughs> inheritance crazed murderers out there don't take tips from sir edward He's he shoves him it. off a cliff in full view of corinna he messes with his at boat. a giant party at a huge party <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's not like there. middle of the night or something yeah, yeah it, it's pretty obvious um well, he's openly excited when a terrible storm uh, whips up while he's out on the Yeah. <laughs> yes, obvious. now Finian will die. Um, but so he figures out who Corinna is kind of before, before she does. Yeah, and he reveals it to her right before he throws her into the caverns where the folk are um, in order to, so that she can be a sacrifice for the folk and also because he really wants to get rid of her. Uh and that's when she kind of really uh, comes into her powers because her hair, which always grows two inches overnight and she keeps cutting it off, um, she lets it grow instead of cutting it then. Uh, and it's sort of like an extra sense that the seal folk use when they're in the water. It's sort of like a tactile echolocation is how I think about it mm-hmm. so that they can agree. Se- or like antenna. So it felt they like can, cat's whiskers to me. Yeah, yeah. Only a lot more, like it gives them a lot more information. Um, and that's also when she finds out that she actually has uh, the last word, which is like the equivalent of being an amazing hip hop artist. <laughs> it's so close to what I wrote down. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said it's like having a, a true mastery of poetry, but. It's you got to have your hair fly free to spit verse. Yes. Yeah. It's, that's a really great way to say yeah, it. Yeah. There's something so um, flamboyant about it in mm-hmm. a really 
thrilling way. Yeah, I I really the mental love it. image of Corinna in a cavern, naked. Yeah, she with gets her, her all her hair floating her around like. her, and her throwing out these um, like dark and powerful rhyming couplets. It's yeah, yeah, it's like it's really fantastic. And when I was young, I tried to write a lot of poetry that was in that vein um, because I loved that idea so much, and I was trying to capture some of that magic for myself. This entire book screamed adolescent Madeline. <laughs> I mean, it was non-stop. I knew what you loved. <laughs> Reading true. it, I was like, oh, this just was Madeline. Like, especially. I don't know when Corinna would have her like grumpy moments. Like, I need to take vengeance. <laughs> Not that you were, you know, particularly vengeful, but you felt that everything should be like dealt with in its proper way. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a very strong sense of when a person was wronged, <laughs> what the retaliation should be. Yeah. Um, and she also hates the sun. Hates the sunlight. Uh, very much enjoys cool rainy weather loves the rain and the dark yeah but she also loves swimming and being in water which is which is true far departure from Mm -hmm. the kind of things that you're into well I think that if I had the ability to actually see everything that was around me and to not be terrified of drowning then I also wouldn't mind being in the ocean too much my my main fear of the ocean comes from uh it it frightens me to be in an environment where I have no senses. I mean, it feels like sensory deprivation for me if I were to go in the ocean or a lake because I can't sense anything that's going around near me. And even though it's very unlikely that there's something around near me that I need to know about, I just can't, like, I just get really scared. I feel very differently about swimming. I, f- I think I feel that like it's- dread. I, I think it's easier to tell what's going on around you because you're relying on more than just a sense of sight, like on land. Like, for example, if a snake were going by you on a hike, you'd have to see it to notice it. But if a water snake were swimming by you, you'd feel the movement of the water in addition to being able to see it. But the water and is you'd moving hear it around. Snake-like so cries. The water is moving around so much. I just don't think that's true. I'm just true. trying to irritate you. you. Like, but you've never you swum in, about? like clear lakes like you've never swum in like lake superior or areas where i'm still just not interested though okay i'm just saying that i do think it's possible to be in water and feel like you're connected to what's happening around you it feels unsafe to me i have no way that i can retreat or fight you can't like run or you know push away something in the water if you're a new listener this isn't our first fight about swimming in water um take a look through the archives the sabriel episode there's good stuff in there i don't like we'll move on for now something that i thought was really interesting about the structure of the story is that you're set up to think that it's going to be all about being a folk keeper and the folk and fighting them and eventually over taking them somehow mm-hmm. and like Corinna emerging triumphant and she does emerge triumphant but the book really isn't about the folk at all it's about her coming into her own realizing her personal history her heritage mm-hmm. and her own abilities so it was cool how the coming of age story and like the magical abilities were kind of snuck into this larger like horror mystery yeah the way it feels at first well and that's why I- 
part of the reason I thought, especially when I was young, that the mystery is so effective is exactly what you've just said, because it's called the folk keeper. Like you and that's all that she talks about to start out with. And, you know, there's other stuff going on, too, as well that she talks about. But really, that's her job. Uh, but it really just kind of and they play a really cool part in the story because they are very important to her, like coming into her own mm -hmm. and part of her growing up process. Yeah, because we haven't we haven't discussed this too much yet, but Corinna disguised herself as a boy, Corin, in order to become a folk keeper because mm -hmm. in her society, women, girls don't have the opportunity to even learn to read or write, much and less hold any kind of larger job. And that's why she's cutting her hair. Yes. Every time it grows. Um, and it's because she learns how to control herself in this way and take charge of her own destiny that she discovers a way to feel powerful and a way that she takes power and that's why she's obsessed with vengeance for anyone who's slighted her even in the smallest ways in like maligning her when they're speaking about her mostly mm -hmm. um or like taking a piece of bread away from her yeah. that she wanted to keep in her folk bag to give to the folk um because when she enacts vengeance on someone she is exerting power over them and taking control of her own dominion mm -hmm. um which i thought was really cool because it's this kind of mix of her being very childish and also very old and wise mm -hmm. um like she does need vengeance but it's not because she's just petulant and angry although she does get really angry a lot she's constantly furious but i mean she's 15 16 that's yeah. that's the age no it's true <laughs> um uh, something that's great about her dynamic as she starts getting to know finian is that he, they come up with a back and forth trade of him giving her secrets about his family mm -hmm. in exchange for her giving him convictions for how he can actually follow what he wants to be his destiny to become a sailor and to build boats yeah. as opposed to becoming the master of the manor. Um, the Lord. The master of the manor. <laughs> and he gives her you know the secrets that she asks for mm -hmm. but he does it in a pretty lighthearted way mm -hmm. and then she follows up with these convictions that are like so kill everything intense. you hate <laughs> dress no find out what people love and then and use it against them <laughs> yeah find out what people love and destroy it and then you will always have power over them and every time he's like okay i know <laughs> This isn't, these aren't he real says, like, your convictions like, are too strong yeah, for me. <laughs> this is not motivation. This is not actually going to help me achieve my dreams. It's just yeah. some scary stuff. When I was younger, I, I didn't, I didn't know what conviction meant. So mm. I figured it just meant curse. Like she was giving him curses. <laughs> Evil spells. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this, this is a good segue to go into the romantic part of the story. Um, I love Finian. When I was younger, I didn't, I wasn't really into him because he was, in my opinion, I'm, this is just what I think was the difference, is that I didn't, he wasn't enough like a traditional male romantic interest mm -hmm. for me to be, like, she doesn't talk about how he's handsome. No, like, his glasses are his main physical feature mm -hmm. and his yeah. reddish hair. And he's huge. Mm -hmm. um, 
and she talks about at one point that he has a, a vein in his temple like you would see on a baby. It's a vein from the corner of his eye to his nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the middle of his face. Um, yeah, I noticed that too. I thought that was interesting. And yeah, he's just like a giant man who's really sweet and funny. And yeah, he I love picturing little tiny spectacles on this big lumberjacky dude. Uh so when I was younger, I was never like I did not see her, even though it, it's telegraphed very strongly. I just completely was like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, that's that's there's that the no. two of them would develop some kind of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But um, this time I just really, really enjoyed him. And I don't know. That's all I have to say. Finian's great. <laughs> I mean, I loved their relationship. It kind of covers all the bases that I enjoyed. There's the everyday, like falling in love through everyday activities component, like in Princess Bride. Yeah, um, and yeah. then there's also the going on adventures together and saving each other instead mm-hmm. of just boy saving girl. Totally, yeah. Um, like we've seen in some of the Tamara Pierce books that we've read. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Tamara Pierce, there is the boy falls in love with girl disguised as boy concept. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he realized like right away. I know, he knew that she was a girl from the start, but she's still disguised as a boy throughout that and, whole time yeah. and being mm-hmm. a real little brat sometimes yeah, yeah it's just true <laughs> sometimes I think about how annoying Corinna Corinne is I mean there's just these moments where it, like she can't lighten up yeah but she also spends the better portion of her life sitting in a cellar with beast creatures who are like turning her bones inside out and so. she's, she's an orphan she's, she's an orphan most of her life in and out of what sound like pretty upsetting orphanages yeah and it i mean it adds more importance to the i'm going to disguise disguise myself as a boy to change my circumstances Mm -hmm. approach because she did that out of necessity you know it wasn't so that she could go on quests um and become a knight like alana Mm -hmm. uh i mean alana was escaping you know a different kind of lifetime of servitude of being a wife Mm -hmm. for some kind of lord (laughs) but Um, no you're right she needed to yeah to escape into that role and she keeps referring back to uh, being a drudge and how she's never going to be a drudge again and she associated drudgery with when she was a woman when she was a little girl Mm -hmm. um when all that there was to do for her was scrub floors and she wasn't allowed to learn to read or write and she had to do the boys chores for years at a time in order for them to give her lessons Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and that's how she started picking up how to take care of the folk she never even went to the folk keeper school (laughs) you know folk keeper you um (laughs) like the other little boys (laughs) so she just has these scraps of knowledge and charms that she wears and is always trying to change her approach especially after she comes to Marblehaw Manor. I'm going to pronounce it differently every time I say it just to keep <laughs> Whoa, people guessing. <laughs> Marblemouth Manor. Um, she ha- is suddenly faced with folk that are like 20 times stronger uh, than what mm-hmm. she's been used to. Terrifying. In the past. And they're like, they're vicious. They're beating her up. She yeah. talks about how she's covered in bruises. Like she, People just don't know because she's always hiding it. Yeah. Well, what probably what I found the most disturbing image was when she stuck. 
um, hundreds of needles and cross shapes in her clothing mm-hmm. yeah. and then, you know, blacked out all night basically while they tortured her. And when she woke up, all the needles were stabbed into her skin. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. She's well. Yeah. And that's why I really I mean, yeah, she's really stubborn and she can be really obnoxious and angry. But I kind of I always interpret it as like she needs that hardness so mm-hmm. much because like a lot of horrifying stuff happens to her and has happened to her and she talks about it too like yeah, she says again and again that she has to keep her heart from going soft especially when she's falling in love with Finian. she has to keep being like i don't yeah she don't has a line where she feelings. says that she has she's gonna have a new routine she's gonna get up and wash her face and get dressed and then check her heart to her signs, signs of dry rot yeah. yeah yeah and she says uh replace with polished mahogany yeah. boards like the wind cover like the wind cover the boat that really they're loved. building together yeah i think this book is really poetic at parts it is i think that the author is uh, has very good prose yeah she's very talented mm-hmm. i um the quote i actually wrote down i put under a note clumsy people problems because this is something that we can both relate to yes. Uh, because Corinna doesn't have a sense of balance because she cuts her hair Mm -hmm. um, because her powers are within her hair. Uh, So she moves through the world just constantly falling over and tripping. Um, But the way that Franny Billingsley describes that, it is true that I can trip over anything and nothing, a speck of dust, a patch of sunlight, an idea. (laughs) I move through life like a person with one eye through a landscape that looks flat but is really tricked out with hidden depths and shadows. It didn't used to be so, but no matter. I navigate the world well enough in my own way. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah, just about falling over really a lot. Encapsulates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I fall over a lot. And now I, I used to hate it and just be really upset and feel clumsy and stupid. But now I just get back up again. And I've I've become very adept at windmilling to the point where I don't actually go down. Like I'll I'll regain my balance. Looks very silly, but I prefer it to actually going down. <laughs> yeah, you do do that a lot. I mean, because yeah. you'll just go suddenly almost over I for no reason. Don't have very good equilibrium. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's more like smacking my limbs in doorways and things yeah. like that. But we definitely share the same. DNA question of that um so just kind of wrapping up the romantic relationship I genuinely didn't remember the end of the book I thought that Corinna was leaving to be a seal folk um and I didn't know that she would go back and that she would I assume marry Finian Mm -hmm. yeah um but I really appreciated his declaration of love and how he was still silly about it and he got her a ring with Mm -hmm. gems of the ocean Mm -hmm. with opal and emerald um and i normally don't care about that kind of thing um so i was struck by that and i really really liked the end because it's always happening in storybooks that there's all kinds of dramatic irony or the people insist that they're going to have these tragic outcomes even though it really seems like there's an alternative and she realizes that she doesn't have to be like her mother and she doesn't have to be like one of the seal folk that she's different because Mm -hmm. she's herself she's Corinna and she can go and hang out with the seal folk as herself she doesn't need her seal skin and that way she can 
still be of land as well and just yeah. go you know be with the seal folks sometimes so she doesn't feel like there's something missing from her which i thought was really really cool and she's not she's not a hundred percent she's she's half human mm-hmm. so that also makes sense why of course it's not the same for her yeah she has ties to two places that are impossible to coexist in I mean, mm-hmm. the sea and land yeah um, and she wants to keep working as a folk keeper too. Yeah. So I like that she ended up with one of those well-rounded endings that a lot of female characters don't get. Don't get. She gets to keep working. Get she one gets or the to other. Uh, marry the awesome dude that she loves, mm-hmm. and she gets to keep her secret magic fantasy goings on. Like she gets everything. That's great. <laughs> she. It is horrible that she can't ultimately wear her seal skin mm, because yeah. it was too badly burned and um the scene where she is ripping off her own skin to get out of it because she realizes that she's going to lose her ability to think in words yeah. and just mm-hmm. become a seal yeah it's really scary it's um, really scary and uh yeah there were lots of moment of moments of body horror that were really well done mm-hmm. in this book um just the kind of thing where you know your your skin is turning against you in some way um, a lot of descriptions really- of, of like what how exactly it feels when the folk are attacking her like yeah. it it's like energy that rushes into her skin and then like sucks the marrow out or something yeah. it's really well described it was more specific too. than um you know just like clouds of impossible pain right usually yeah. are mm-hmm. so that was impressive yeah yeah uh so i'm talking about pain i wrote down dragons exclamation part point <laughs> but there are no dragons in this book <laughs> really aren't any i don't think there's a mention even of like a dragon goblet or anything like that yeah so i guess that that's all i have to say dragon count that. is zero. zero it's been dragons. a while since we've had no dragons no dragons but at all there is you know a lesser known mythological creature that's being dealt with so yeah, and I also feel like this is definitely the sort of, dragons are somewhere in this world's mythology. They're just not pertinent in the part of it that we're exposed to through this tale. Well, while we're talking about mythology, um, Selkies are, like I said, very specifically drawn from the Irish and Scottish folklore that mm-hmm. they come from in our own reality. Um, but do you have any idea whether the folk were reminiscent of some kind of establish mythological creature i did a little research um and couldn't really come up with anything they made me think of fairies a little bit because they the mischief like bad fairies yeah terrible fairies and like they don't actually exist in any kind of neutral way yeah yeah um but the fact that like they have offerings of food given to them and Uh if they get upset they will you know tangle with things in the human realm so they're more like demons like demons that need to be placated and it's strange that they it feels like they're also prisoners like dependent on humans because they have to stay they're pretty unique Mm -hmm. i kind of see it as this is just my own backstory that i've cultivated that they were first and they've always just been down there in the dark like nasty evil gremlins and then humans came and they uh, started messing a ton with the humans uh, just because they could. 
and they wanted to make this mischief and spread malice and everything so the humans started trying to placate them like to me they feel kind of like a natural disaster that it's possible to uh soothe and keep from being as bad Mm. okay i mean and what would be do you think the the worst thing that the folk could possibly do like can they escape can they do something to actually harm people who aren't keepers and who aren't in direct contact with them in their caves well i could definitely see it being told as a tale you know, you behave or we'll throw you in the caverns or something. Yeah, but, um, but well, also I mean, they, they could just, also just destroy their livelihood completely right. because they it's can affect like any really growing agrarian. Yeah. Anything growing in the earth. Culture, above them. So that's really, really important. They could destroy their yeah. sustenance economy. I, get, I mean, I guess one way in which they felt different to me was that they don't have that ability to roam, that they are so contained mm-hmm. um, yeah. that they don't come out at night. Right. I thought that maybe that would be a possibility if the folk keeper wasn't keeping them happy but it makes sense because there's still some light even at night Mm -hmm. even on very dark nights there's always some light you know but in the caverns there's actually because corinna's fine when she's in the caverns as long as there's starlight right and it's only when there's a starless night in the caverns that she's not safe in there anymore Mm -hmm. because the shaft can't like let the stars in anymore they're also interesting in that sometimes they cause uh, internal pain, but sometimes they can cause physical pain and become manifest. Um, mm-hmm. But Corinna always had bruises and things. Mm-hmm. So even when it is just this sort of like them emotionally, spiritually attacking her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, they're really nasty. I uh, looked up a note that Franny Billingsley wrote about the process of writing this book mm. and she said she really wanted to write about selkies mm-hmm. um and had a whole selkie story and then was like okay there's no conflict i don't mm-hmm. know what to do and then um her editor was like well what did like corinna want before she knew that she was a selkie and then she came up with this evil force that kind of produced Corinne, but also holds her within it and like keeps her from at first discovering her true identity. It's really inventive. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I think that all the monsters are very well written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't know if any of you have read The Folk Keeper or if you know of any similar beasts, please let us know. Yeah. Any folkloric traditions that talk about something along these lines. Underground creatures, they require sacrifice, sometimes living, um, and they need to be fed food every day. In order to not mess with people. Yeah, in like, order I don't to not mess with their surroundings. Like, die if they're not looked after or anything. No, I don't think so, because especially after Karina defeats them with the last word, mm-hmm. um, they are quiet. Yeah do their yeah. own thing so i think of it just or, sort except of except for like poor a, taffy i know i, I feel really bad oh no was, was okay part. we haven't talked about the dogs at all because they make me upset <laughs> but i mean taffy was really really old <laughs> no i feel like we're talking about a real dog <laughs> um the taffy is one of the hill hounds that live in the manor 
and he's very old and weak and Mm -hmm. he takes a shine to Corinna and sits with her while she has her nightly periods in the cellar with the folk Mm -hmm. and um, he is the first to greet her when she makes her way out of the caverns after how long does it take her months I think like a fortnight. five weeks yeah I think she says five weeks um yeah Taffy is there to greet her mm-hmm. but in the end the folk eat him and crunch his bones <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens <laughs> <laughs> I know Grace has been waiting for it, so we better do the food segment. Food, pretend food. <laughs> a lot of food in this book. Um, in because food is the first weapon against the folk. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in more ways, not only do the, f- the folk eat food and then that diverts their anger so they don't spoil crops and make cheese melt, but... They also like, and not in a good fondue kind of way. No, definitely not. They uh, are repelled by um, bread, by salt. Uh, they, it's, it can also be used as a talisman against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what? Okay, so my very favorite food-related thing that happens in the story is when Krina is forced to go to one of the manor dinners. Because um, she doesn't want to hang out with people, but she does. Another and, way in which she reminds me of <laughs> adolescent Madeline. Don't want to go. I have to, to go to dinner. dinner. I would always eat in my room yep. if I could get away with it. <laughs> um, or refuse to eat so that we'd all leave the table, and then you just be there with your. This is when you were younger, and you just be there with your milk that you wouldn't drink. Yeah, or your yogurt. I just wouldn't. Would not put it in my body. Um, my very favorite thing is after the meal when they're all in the parlor or whatever of the manor and uh, someone brings out like a bunch of cakes and it's this Finian is really excited about the cakes and immediately stacks about 20 or so cakes on his giant hand. Yeah, there's a line that's like casually like, oh, Finian came over carrying 20 to 30 cakes. And it's just like... Holy it sounds so much stuff. like a video game character, like a Zelda character. Yeah. Someone's like, hello, have yeah. some cakes. Yeah. Like, it always makes me stop and be like, clown. so are these cakes bottle cap sized? Because <laughs> even if he has yeah. very large hands, I just don't. That's so It must have been tiny. And he was clearly trying to like cheer Corinna up in that yeah. moment, too. Mm-hmm. So, And he and uh, Sir Edward get in a fight later that evening. And it says, like... Edward basically does his come at me bra stance and it says Finian shook the cakes from his hand and removed his glasses. <laughs> Which is the best way yeah, to prepare for a fight. Such a good visual. Yeah. Um, I mean, we should all be constantly covered in cakes. Just so imagine cakes falling like raindrops. Prepare. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of dried meat mm-hmm. um, because the folk enjoy that. They also like lambs. Tubs and of uh, milk with tons, cream. Yeah, tons of milk. Like re- I think it's really fresh milk mm-hmm. that Corinna stirs so yeah. that everything's incorporated. Which sounds um, so good. Honestly, though, probably my favorite food moment is when Corinna realizes that she has a curious hankering for raw living fish and she casually begins and she doesn't even know what she's doing up yeah. there she's like oh i put my hand in the water and 
now I'm holding a fish and now I'm biting into the <laughs> fish. Like, what's going on? It's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. it's really, really funny. Um, and I, uh, oh, shoot. And she has gets a hankering for sardines and she wants to crunch their bones mm-hmm. and yeah, talks about she, it. She won't eat very much. She is just not right. a big eater. She doesn't like eating and she feels that that makes her more powerful at mm-hmm. least at the beginning of the book because she doesn't need to eat the way other people do right mm-hmm. um, even though she's clearly harming herself I mean everyone mm-hmm. comments on how she's skin and bones mm-hmm. yeah um, but yeah the fish eating was one moment where I really enjoyed the first person narration in this book because mm-hmm. Krina's into the fish yeah she loves the water and she loves the feel of it and like she even made me like understand that she was enjoying these squirming raw fish that she's pulling gollum style yes gollum style (laughs) um and when she's trapped in the caves she uh, is kind of laughing to herself like most humans down here would be uh lured deeper into the caves to try to find food i can just eat raw fish Mm -hmm. and toss the remnants aside my little rat friend will come take care of them i really like her relationship with the little Rat. <laughs> you know because the time in the cave must have been pretty horrifying and mm-hmm. i mean this book is we haven't even mentioned this it is a diary format mm-hmm. um so it's well it's her folk record yeah it's her folk record yeah but, but she herself even acknowledges that she pretty quickly stops using it only mm-hmm. as a folk record and it just becomes her yeah. own yeah and she has moments where she says i should talk about the folk but here i'll just tell you what they ate today and i'm gonna talk about me mm-hmm. yeah um and i uh, was amazed by how well she kept it together during her time in the caves as mm-hmm. opposed to like beginning to rant a little bit in her diary especially as she's running out of candles mm-hmm. and feeling yeah. like she's going to be destroyed in the night mm-hmm. by the folk but that's what leads her to unleash her hair yeah and take control mm-hmm. of her full powers so yeah it all works out and then she gets her last word and she starts spitting lyricism it's oh, pretty cool it's really great yeah i love it do you think that part of the reason you like this book so much is because of the diary style? Because you were really into the Dear America books and the, mm-hmm. uh, um, can't remember what the ones about like royal historical figures were called. Oh yeah, I should be able to remember this. I think they were just called like royal diaries. I really do like a first person style in a book. It really connects me to the book and I just really enjoy being in the person's head and it also feels very reliable and I don't even know like part of the thing about reading um I mean A Song of Ice and Fire is a stressful series but part of the thing about reading it that stressed me out is I was always losing my grasp on the person that I was getting comfortable with seeing things from their point of view and being in their head and being like okay this is how the story is going to be told I don't really like narrative switches very much um so I that's one of the things that I just really enjoy about this and because it gives you you really care about them because they're speaking to you about themselves yeah that's why, <laughs> yeah, that's why people use first-person narration. 
No, you I'm heard sorry. it here first. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a jerk. Um, yes, she is. But I, I liked it coming from such a weird character. Yeah. Because uh, Corinna is very strange. She, like we mentioned, has a lot of violent tendencies um, and is leading this double life. And she, in the beginning, it seems like she has delusions of grandeur, mm-hmm. kind of, um, because she's always talking about her powers and what's different about her but she literally is different from everyone she does Um, have magical abilities so it was legitimate and it Mm -hmm. was earned for her to be speaking that way Um, but when you're introduced to her as just this like kind of weird kid Mm -hmm. I don't know at first I was like okay (laughs) somebody (laughs) needs to relax (laughs) somebody needs to calm down that should be the caption for Madeline ages 11 to 20 (laughs) (laughs) She comes on the scene as what could be a tragic orphan, mm-hmm. but um, she's secret, secretly punishing everyone around her at all times. And the brief view that we get of the uh, matron, she calls the woman she's working for mm-hmm. when uh, Sir Edward and Lady Alicia come to get her. She it refers quite a few times to how she will punish the matron for um, speaking lies about her mm-hmm. and the ways that she's punished her in the past and the casual way with which she says, I took the lamb to give to the folk. Matron will notice, but she's not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she reveled in taking the matron's breakfast sausage. And mm-hmm. I mean, it plays back into how she sees herself having power over others because she doesn't care about food. And well, because food, most of the people in the book care about quite a bit. And she's just, it's really, I think, a great analog for someone who's incredibly powerless, just really trying as hard as they can to gain back some of that power over people. And in real life, it's much less possible or easy to do this a lot of times. But for her, she has outlets. She's a magical creature. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we should put her on the badass lady meter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I I think badass lady meter she's ranking a uh she's ranking the joy of diving into water for the first time and discovering that you can breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and that your hair maps out the world your for hair you. Maps out the world. Um, yeah, there's some really, really beautiful passages about mm-hmm. just swimming yeah. and just being in water. Yeah. And I, I recommend the, this book for the, the prose and the poetry of the last words, if nothing else, even if you're not interested in a retelling of some old silky myths. It is it is also very quick and easy to read. Um, I loved it when I was young, and I really enjoy reading it now that I'm older and I know I always say this, but I'm going to get her other books and read them because I never have. But this is one of my favorite books from my childhood. So I'm looking forward to that. And Franny Billingsley, I think she just publishes at a very slow rate. She only has a few books. She has four. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one came out in 2010, I think. This came out in 1999. Yeah. I was surprised to see in the front of the book that it says, you know, this is blah, blah, blah's series for young readers. And I felt like that was kind of patronizing. I was like, oh, excuse me. I guess I shouldn't be holding this book. Um, But it reads like a more adult book. I think it's a very adult book. I don't think it's even really for children. Even though it has... A children's literature award. I mean, this is a really dark 
atmospherically and what actually is there's some really nasty stuff that mm-hmm. happens yeah um you know i guess that's fairy tales but i i really think that it's suitable for all ages i think that the the setting of this book is very evocative and now i really just want to go to I mean, obviously, Scotland. I'd like to be in a castle on a cliff in Scotland, mm. but I'll probably have to content myself with like a shack on a lake. <laughs> a shack on Who a lake. Who am I kidding? I don't have access to a shack on a lake. <laughs> I don't have any of that. Um, I wonder if they if there's any castles in Europe that you can like Airbnb a room in. Probably not. No, there are. Have you ever seen one of those like BuzzFeed type? the craziest airbnbs you can rent and i uh, never i don't click on those okay I click, I click well on, some okay. of us are just okay. you know rummaging around in the to dirt clarify <laughs> i'm pretty level much of internet purity hush i only click on the listicles that are dessert related <laughs> oh my god okay thank you for scoffing at me <laughs> so thoroughly castles i just yes. want to talk about avocado ice cream <laughs> but yes avocado ice cream yeah do you want that no i, I don't i'm fascinated by it but i don't want it's it. a really popular thing right now along Good with the, the populace along with black ice cream have you seen images of that it's made with Is it like black beans no it's made with <laughs> <laughs> you know like red i beans. love that that's your first <laughs> Um, instinct. No, it's made with charcoal. Activated charcoal. What does it taste like? Dirt? No, I think it tastes good. Um, but it really looks black and glossy. So I have it for your tummy ache? No, it's... Uh, that's what activated charcoal trendy. is for. Yeah, but, I mean, people use charcoal for everything now. That's why when I was in Russia, anytime I ever was feeling a little blue or anything, my... You Post mother black. would be like, Mielchka, you need to take your activated charcoal. And be like, what is that? <laughs> the first word you meant, meant, the first word you said meant you need to take your activated charcoal? No, she called me Lianochka. Because oh. Madlian was my name. Oh, wow, that stuff is nasty looking. Yeah, it, it does look pretty gross, but and it's it, become a pretty trendy mouth, thing. Your teeth turn black. Yeah. Google it, guys. You won't be disappointed. Yeah, Google black ice cream. Um, that guy's making a really amazing Yeah, there's a funny picture. Uh, you should post it. Y'all enjoy it. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that's the place this book left me in. I, I wasn't black scared. Ice cream. Yeah, black ice cream. <laughs> uh, shack on a lake. I wasn't frightened by it. I think as a child I was. That might be why I only read it once. Mm. Um because it is a little freaky. I'm surprised that you liked it so much because of your fear of basements. This book made me feel powerful because she was able to take such a bum deal mm-hmm. and become so powerful. And I I actually, I read this book again about six months ago and it was when I, it was more like a year ago. It was when I actively decided that I was gonna grow my hair out super long right after I read this book. Cause I was like, yeah. That's powerful. <laughs> no, I can understand that. I mean, it also, she literally does have powers. Mm-hmm. So she has a leg up on some of the other scrappy orphans who might have been trying to change their fates. And I had, um, I was so, 
like I went through so many awkward phases and so much social um, rejection and not fitting in and everything that it was just like I really clung to this like idea of being powerful despite that. Well, I was going to say that it plays kind of like an unconventional superhero origin story. Mm. Um, and I like that about it because Corinna is not the kind of person who usually becomes a superhero. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously she she's a seal folk. Like, that's not something she's necessarily going to be able to use to save the world. But she uses it to save Finian quite mm. a few times. Um, and I'm sure that uses it in ways in the future to help people. Um, and she ends up having, you know, everything she could want except the ability to actually go in and out of her seal skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything doesn't always wind up perfect. Yeah. She still gets a happy ending, though. Yeah. I would rate her on the scale. On the baddest lady meter? A. Uh, oh, wait. I, I was going to. I don't know. We'll go with Grace's. Okay. I would rate her on the badass lady meter scale. So badass that she's not even <laughs> she's not human. She's a seal person. I love our personal interpretations of how the meter works. <laughs> but I think it's all good. Whatever. <laughs> like slap it on there. Yeah, she's people like understand. So up there that it's like broken and she's like floating up because it's like a meter of ladies of human ladies a way in which i related to karina is that she felt to me like she um might be a little bit ocd because Mm. she might be a little bit obsessive compulsive she might have ocd because she constantly knows what time it is and she's always counting out the seconds but that's more it's her internal clock corresponding with the waves because she's a seal folk. The tides, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, moving with the tides. But um, she does have a lot of very obsessive behaviors. Oh, yeah. Her bag that she always has to have with her. Yeah, I was going to bring um, that up. I, I love that. There were moments in the book where, she, like, when she was dancing at the um, the Midsummer mm-hmm. Festival and someone's like, oh, jump over the fire now. And she's like, I can't with my bag. I'm like, why do you have your bag right now? No, <laughs> it's I, really, I inappropriate. really, really relate to it. Like, I have to have my bag at all times. And I've actually and got... like, Corinna, you have a giant leather bag yeah. that's mm-hmm. filled with crap all the time. <laughs> no, like, a few years ago, I got to the I'm point sure you have a bread compartment that I just don't know about. I was like, there is bread in there that I feed to crows, Grace. Oh, my God, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. So right now it's old tortillas. Trying to be responsible. Well if the folk come up waste. on you, you'll be safe. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to figure out the popularity level of this book because I love it so, yeah. so much. But I've never seen it on like a list or heard about it from Do like Do you know how you ended up with it in the first place? Mom just liked the cover and she bought it for me and gave it to me. It's so. a picture of it's a painting of Corinna with the candle. It is a really neat cover. Yeah. Well, our cover is gone. But. Yeah, we will put up a picture of what the cover typically looks like. What did you learn about the book's popularity? Nothing. I was <laughs> just curious. It was a question, not okay. an answer. I, I will say <laughs> what I learned. No. 
I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be one of those obnoxious people that's like, so have you heard about this? And then after you're like, no, they're like, let me tell you about <laughs> tell it. You all about it. Had a few had a few clients do what that to me this week. What did you do on vacation? That's great. Shut up. Listen to what I did. <laughs> um, most of the stuff I saw on the internet was people saying that they had found this because a newer book by Franny Billingsley um, mm, that came out okay. in the last uh, five years um, that I think is called Chime. Chime. Thank mm-hmm. you. I was going to say chill. It's, I'm sure that's a different book. Um, and they said that they loved it and were like, who is this author? And uh, I'm really excited to read it now. Other book. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll dive into the Franny Billingsley world um, and we'll let you guys know what we think about our other books. I, I already have five Terry Pratchett books on my desk right now. So I'm pretty. Have you started any? <laughs> no. OK. Um, well, I think. That sums up everything we've got on the Folk Keeper. Yeah, that does it for me as well. If you would like to talk about silkies, or if you are a silkie, I mean, I always put out the call for dragons, put out the call for silkies, please get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, and on our website at dragonbabiespodcast.com. But if you're one of the folk, please don't contact us. If you are one of the folk and you have a little computer in your cellar. In your cave network. Don't reach out. We don't want to hear from you. You frighten us. Uh, with all due respect. And we will leave some. Please mi- don't melt our cheese. Yeah, don't melt the cheese. We'll leave some milk out for you. Yeah. All right. So this is Grace. And this is Madeline. Until next time. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about Dragon Babies, you can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. That's P-O-D, the first syllable of podcast. Songs used in this episode are Pippin the Hunchback and Batched Villagers, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find his music at incompetech.com. Thanks for listening.